New York, Joe, New York, Joe. Welcome to Tom Dave Show, everybody. Uh, this is episode eight slash twelve of our of our program we have here. Um, really knocked the knocked that intro out of the park. Um, we're no, I think it is eight. I think you're right. It is episode eight. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we are what, like a week and a half into the NBA season. Yeah. Yeah. Most teams are like seven or eight games in by this point. Um, I'm Tom Gambardella. That is Dave Sheckle. Dave, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I watched a really good game of uh, Knicks basketball last night, Tom. They're getting more common these days. Um, I also watched it. This is transitioning into the first part of our show today. Uh, we're starting with Knicks talk. We're going to get some heat talk in there. Uh, we're going to talk about some surprises from this first little stretch. Um, probably make some interpretations of this small sample size of games that wind up looking really wrong later. But for right now, they're going to be the most correct takes in any medium that discusses basketball or discusses anything, really, because um, that's the quality of analysis you get on this show. But the Knicks, um, what is so I know how I feel about this Knicks team. What did you see last night? Just as someone who's not like a, a homer for this yeah. Knicks squad. Well, I wrote this when um, I tweeted this when I was watching the Knicks game earlier this week too. I forget who they were playing. Um, I want to say it was. Uh, do you remember who they were playing on like Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Um, let me look at this. Off well, the top of my head, I don't, but I feel like I should. Anyway, the, the Knicks played a game Wednesday or Thursday that I was watching, um, that I was tweeting a little bit about, um, and I just thought they looked really good um, on the defensive end. Everyone looked really bought in, um, was one of the first things that I noticed. Um, yep. You have a team that is super, super young yep. um, with a ton of amazing athletes, Um and I think Tibbs is like in putting his normal system into um, this team, and it really looks like some of these young guys are bought in. Um, there was even some really smart um, defensive—I mean, not defensive—offensive decisions I saw. Um, yeah. Which maybe this is just me getting better at watching the game, or maybe this is actually like a sign that these Knicks are like getting a lot more. Um, intelligent with the way that they're playing but um, whoever they were playing uh, pulled out a zone um, yeah. oh it was the Raptors it was the Raptors oh yeah yeah. Um, it was that the Nick Nurse zone yeah and um, Nick's couldn't shoot them out of it they I'll couldn't shoot them out of it but I did see one play where uh, Austin Rivers brought it up um, yeah. he recognized the zone and the Knicks immediately did the right thing, where they passed it. Julius Randle ran to the high post. He was in the middle. Yeah, right. Nerlens, yeah, Nerlens Noel slid down from his position in the post to the spot, like in the dunker spot. Yeah. And then yep. the post defender came up a little bit to go to Julius. Nerlens cut in, got an easy dunk. And it was just like such a quick, smart play. Um, yeah. Where I was like, hmm, like I, I mean, I didn't watch a ton of Knicks games last year, but I just feel like that type of play is something that I is a 
a sign that like some things are clicking because they did that like immediately. Yeah. yeah. No, it's I think it's like you said they just look a little bit better coached this year. Um, they're making some of those like smarter, craftier plays on offense. That's definitely the side of the ball that I'm more worried about with them. Just because, like, I don't know. We were talking about it before the show came on. Like, they're 25th in offensive rating right now, and that's with a Bucks game on the books where they shot, like, 60% from the field. Um, or, sorry, 60% from three. So, like, think of how bad the rest of the offensive minutes have to be to get them down to that. Um, but even with that, like, I don't know. They're winning games and to a, to a degree that I was not expecting them to this year. They're flying around on defense. They look like they're actually like rotating competently. Like Tibbs is working magic with his bigs, which shouldn't surprise anybody. But like when we have Julius Randle making like really smart, really intuitive defensive plays, you know, something is working. Um, Mitchell Robinson, I'm actually really happy to see in this system because I feel like he was someone that Knicks fans for multiple years now have been like, no, really, like he's, he's got something like he's good he's got potential look watch him play he there's something here and now with Tibbs in there it's a little bit less of like a foul machine whenever Mitch is out there and it's like all right yeah he's becoming more of a defender and less of a just like guy with good shot blocking numbers which is an important difference I think especially when you look at this team and how they're defending more as a team this year um I think you said they're what eighth in defensive rating yep um and just barely eighth they're like very close to seventh, very close to sixth. And, like, I don't know. Think of some of the guys that are getting minutes on this team. Like, Julius Randle, a pretty well-documented, or at least, like, pretty well-written-off non-defender, is leading the league in minutes played at this point. I think they said he's playing, like, 38 a night so far. And they're a top-ten defensive team with him out there more than anybody. Um, like, R.J. Barrett has not been known as, like, a fantastic defender through his year in the league. Kevin Knox is getting minutes for this team. He's been, like, catastrophically bad at times in his NBA career. But they're defending as a team, and it's working. Um, I think the one... hmm. No, you go. I was just going to say, I think the... And maybe this is what you're about to transition to. Um, I feel like the one thing that you've talked about, the one thing I've seen on Nick's Twitter, from what I've watched as well, the big inconsistency just seems to be, like, the point guard play. And it almost feels like if you had a like a more competent point guard you could probably be like four and two right now oh yeah like it's i said it to you last night when they had like emmanuel quickly running point who by the way i love emmanuel quickly like he's showing a lot for a player that didn't have sort of the high billing that some other rookies did um but he's showing a lot right now and like I said it to you last night when he was running point like it's amazing what this team looks like when they have even not awful point guard play like Alfred Payton a couple times this year has played so far above what we know Alfred Payton as. And like, that's when this team looks like it's really clicking and looks, I don't want to say real because it's dependent on Alfred Payton being like incredible, which doesn't feel as sustainable to me, but yeah, like it's when this team has just a plus at point guard, it's amazing. Like there was a, there was a stretch last night where they had like a quickly in Austin rivers backcourt out there. And it was just, the offense looked so much less, Stally, and like that's what gives me hope like when they're out there you have guys getting like wide open corner threes you've got cutters coming open it's exciting when the point guard play is clicking oh yeah i mean 
again, as someone who's watched actually a decent amount of Knicks games this year, the difference from when Austin has been in in these last two games is yeah. really stark. I mean, oh yeah, and it was funny. Uh, like Mike Breen said on the broadcast last night, like on the Rockets last year, Austin oh, Rivers yeah. was like, <laughs> I think one of the three youngest players, and on the yep. Knicks, he is what the second or third is third oldest player. Yeah, no, he's like sneaky vet Austin Rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Dave, just for a fun little game here, how old is Austin Rivers? Because I've got it right in front of me. I just had to Google it. But how old do you think Austin Rivers is? This is a good game. I was actually just thinking about this. I'm going to say Austin is 27. He's 28. Okay. But still, like the fact that 28 is one of your oldest players says a lot about where this team is. And if anything says a lot about like why Knicks fans should be a little bit excited about this. Like they're showing something with a bunch of players who are like early twenties, mid twenties and haven't been in the league that long. Granted, like a lot of the heavy lifting going forward is probably going to be like Julius Randall holding the ball a lot on offense, like Austin rivers holding the ball a lot on offense, but you're getting like these 22, 23 year olds, a lot of minutes. Yeah. And like, and if you're a, able to do that while not sacrificing entire stretches of the game, I think that's a win for a team that's where the Knicks are right now. Yeah, and there's some nice consistency, too. I was just checking this out because I was curious, um, yeah. like, what lineups the Knicks were playing the most. And the yeah. Knicks, the Knicks actually, and this will tie into our Heat talk, too, because it's something I've been frustrated with with the Heat. Um, yeah. The Knicks starting lineup, Tom... It's the most played lineup in the NBA so far. Wow. Has the most minutes. Now, who... Remind me again, who is coaching this team? Uh, Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> okay, yeah. The, the Tibbs is strong with this team, I will say. They just feel very Tibbsy. Um, but one thing I do want to say, and, like, we have spent a few minutes of the show now just gushing over a 3-3 three and three Knicks team. I do want to come out and get in front of this because I think... We, as a basketball-watching community, love to laugh at the Knicks. As a Knicks fan, I have laughed at the Knicks for a couple of years because it's it's easier to do that than, like, cry about the Knicks. But we have a Knicks team that is starting to get some people excited, and I think that they are going to be just good enough that, like, a few Knicks fans get really out over their skis and start talking about this team like it's way better than it is. Like, it's a far-from-perfect team. There's concerns here but they're good enough that they're like competitive and fun, which is better than any Knicks fan was really expecting from this team. But some fans are going to look at this and be like, Oh yeah, they're going to be a seven seed dude. Yeah. They, they could compete in the first round playoff series. And like, that's bad because that's, what's going to get like fans of the other 29 teams in the NBA looking at the Knicks when they lose game insert big game here. Cause it's going to happen. They're going to lose a game that like matters and puts them out of some sort of contention. And there's going to be that, like, circle back where everyone's like, oh, yeah, you thought the Knicks were going to be a playoff team this year? Huh. Great job, guys. I want yeah. to get out in front of it. Mm-hmm. No. Don't think this Knicks team is, like, a top six seed, top seven seed in the East. I think realistically they're going to be, like, if there's a play-in tournament, they'll be a contender for that, to be in that, if, like, they keep up this level of play. Um, but I do want to yeah. be realistic because I feel like that sort of, like – over buy-in from the fan side is what gets to the Knicks in trouble so often. Like, let's let's all just be realistic about this and have fun with it. 
and have that be enough for this year because we're building something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that was actually going to tie into what the next question I was going to ask, which was going to be whether you think this team is going to ride it out or do you think there's any chance with them being like, let's say the the Knicks are um, at one point in the season, they're like 16 and 15. Yeah. Do you think there's a chance that the front office is going to think like, all right, we we could actually make the playoffs with a minor upgrade? It's really hard because I feel like this current administration of the Knicks has been so good at not doing Knicksy things where it's just like, all right, we have a lot of money. We're not just going to spend it to spend it. Like we're going to bring in some guys on some lower risk deals um, to try and like create an environment where we can kind of develop something organically. Um, but at the same time, we've, we've seen the Knicks before we've seen the Knicks get too excited before so like I hope they don't because like I, I think if you're a Knicks front office exec whatever the title might be you have to look at this and say okay we don't need to make the playoffs for this season to be a win like if at the end of this year Emmanuel quickly has developed into like a guy that you can play consistent minutes at point guard win if RJ Barrett is at least like taking outside shots confidently win um kevin knox harder to project like i think he's probably a lower end of the rotation guy at his peak with ob Toppin coming back he probably gets an even tighter leash than tibbs has him on right now but like if ob Toppin's out there enough and he's able to just like not be a liability defensively win like it's i think they need to be concerned with the process a little bit more than the result this year that being said I think it's very easy to see a world where like somebody in the Knicks building says, all right, yeah, you know what? Like we can go get a point guard. There's somebody out there. I don't know who it's going to be, but yeah, I think, I think if they're like ninth or eighth in the East at some point, they're seventh right now tied with the Brooklyn Nets. Funny enough for all of you who said New York was no longer a Knicks town. Um, (laughs) Sure. That won't bite me in the ass at all, but yeah, like if they're like eighth in the East and it's like, I don't know, Valentine's Day. Yeah, I think they probably start looking. And I'm going to hate it. Yeah. Because it's going to destroy like, all the goodwill they're building right now. But yeah, I think they do. Um, but I think the way you're just talking about that is the right way to think about it. Because I saw a good tweet the other day that was said, like, um, you know, just following your favorite NBA team as like championship or bust or playoff or bust is like just Not very fun. depressing and like yeah. not interesting. Um, And I do think a team like the Knicks um, with the current roster makeup should have these sort of like more tangible goals that are like player based, like the ones that you were just talking about. Because like ultimately, like if we're looking at the Knicks as like trying to build a contender, whatever that ultimately winds up looking like, who's really like the long term core here? Like it's probably not Julius Randle. It's probably not Austin Rivers. It's probably like quickly, Obi, Mitch, RJ. Those are the four guys where it's like, all right, yeah, I want them around for the foreseeable future. So like when that group is all like 21, 22, 23, you kind of have to 
be comfortable with this taking some time. And I mean, we talk about it, we've talked about it a few times on this show, like the idea that people get very into that. I played this team on NBA 2K's franchise mode, and I was in the Eastern Conference Finals in two years. And it's like, all right, great, but that's not the way this happens in real life. And like, it's just, there's something to be excited about. I think we can get excited about it without getting unrealistic. That's my ultimate verdict on the Knicks. Just like, enjoy this. Enjoy feeling good about rooting for the Knicks. But be okay if it stops being this much fun. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately they are in the early stages of something. Yeah. Um, I just, I do think it's impressive that they have, you know, there's a lot of teams that I think have have had these very bizarre struggles to start this season. Um, Like, unlike anything we've really seen before in the last few years of the league. Um, But I I think it's just, says a lot about Tibbs, really, that the Knicks are not one of those teams that's like kind of struggling to find their identity. They do have one. Oh, yeah, they know what they're doing. Um, And that's without, like, Obi Toppin. Like, um, I will say Obi uh, has been a great uh, bench presence. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) He gets very hype. He always has like some really, really nice like sweatsuit on. Oh yeah. Um he's he's a well dressed sideline attendant. Yeah. They well, like, even talk about the bench. Like I was watching the game with my dad last night and he was like, Yeah, like the bench looks really into it. Which like they haven't for a while. Yeah, on the um I think it was on um Julius Randall's steel, maybe. Oh yeah. Um, where they showed the bench just you know losing it. Yeah. Um like it's it's a fun team. It's easy to root for. Yeah, no, they really are, and I, they will just get more fun to root for once Ob comes back. Um, That's the hope. Yeah, like realistically, he just takes Knox's minutes. Yeah, and it's like, all right, now we have current first round draft pick Ob Toppin, who's probably able to contribute right now in a real way. Yeah, instead I, of just what Tibbs has Knox doing right now, which is like you stay out there until you airball a three, and then you're <laughs> back on the bench. <laughs> Which, by the way, I feel like is the right way to handle Kevin Knox. But that's not really a discussion we need to have on this show. He's gotten some decent minutes out of Knox. Didn't he play pretty well like two days ago? Two games ago? Yeah, no, Knox like... Knox looks competent in things that he didn't look competent in before. Like, he's... He drives like a bat out of hell. If he ever finishes on one of them, mm-hmm. I'm going to be insufferable. Is that a meatloaf reference? Yeah, man. I figured our our fan base <laughs> big meatloaf fans. Um... <laughs> Meatloaf still plays in 2020, obviously. So, yeah, I feel like I think we're good with a Meatloaf reference in this episode. Um, but yeah, no. So, to wrap up Nick's talk. It's just like something to be excited about. Yeah, that's all. Don't victory lap on me if the Knicks miss the playoffs, because I'm telling you right now, I'm not getting in. I'm not getting ahead of myself on this Knicks team. Now, let's switch over to a team that is also fun to root for but it's on the other side of this weird early season stretch where teams are struggling. Dave, you're Miami Heat. Yes. Where are uh, we at? Talk I'll, to me about the Heat. So I found an interesting stat um, that I think sums up what this Heat team uh, is doing so far. So I, I mentioned the Knicks as the most played lineup in the NBA right now. They've played 100 minutes. Yeah. Um, you sort of scroll down this list of most played lineups. You have a lot of teams... Uh, with lineups and like have played 50 minutes together, 40 minutes together, 30 minutes together. 
Um, The Heat have only two lineups that have played more than 15 minutes together. Okay, what are those lineups, first of all? So, let me get those Is up. it, like, who I would expect, or is one of them, like, a KZ Opala lineup? Uh, so, the two lineups are uh, Jimmy Butler, Mo Harkless, Bam, Duncan, and Hero. Okay. Um, and Andre Iguodala, Avery Bradley, Bam, Duncan, and Hero. Um, so, right off the bat, their two most played lineups don't have a pure point guard in them. No pure point guard, and uh, those two play, most played lineups, the first one I listed is minus 15 so far, and the second one I listed is minus 14 and a half. Well, I mean, the good news is if they're the most played lineup, you can scale that minus 15 out across a full season, and it actually gets better. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, let's hope so. Um, there... oh, I was being completely... No. <laughs> um... And then their third most played lineup, Tom, has played 12 minutes together. It's Iggy, Butler, Bam, Duncan, and Hero, and that lineup is minus 27. Iggy, Butler, Bam, Duncan, Hero. Yes. Um, now, I can give you one good lineup. This lineup okay, has yeah, played 11 minutes together. Right. <laughs> These are <laughs> such small sample sizes, and why I'm starting yeah. with this is because the Heat are in full tinkering mode. They're in full, like, we're trying to figure out what the rotations are looking like with this, like, team where we have not a ton of turnover, but we have turnover in major areas, which is just, like... Jay Crowder minutes are turnover right now. We're trying to rebuild Jay Crowder in the aggregate, (laughs) um, and it is not working. Um, However, there's this one lineup that we played 11 minutes together, which is Goran Dragic... Avery Bradley, Duncan Robinson, Kelly Olynyk, and Bam Adebayo. That has a <laughs> has a net rating of plus fifty one. Spo, you mad scientist. <laughs> um, will that one see many more minutes? I'm not sure, but the I feel heat... like there's a ceiling on any lineup with Olynyk in it as far as minutes. You know, I agree, but I was just about to say actually. Um, the biggest problem that the Heat have so far is this inconsistency with their lineups. But, I mean, I know that I don't think Spo sees it as a problem. I think he right. sees it as, like, this is this is what he likes to do. This is his experiment. And I think it's also kind of worth noting, like, we've talked about how they came back really quickly, like the NBA as a league yeah. did. And, like, I feel like a lot of it has been focused on the Lakers and LeBron James coming out and being like, yeah, you know, I wanted to spend more time with my kids over the holidays. Like, really was looking forward to getting a little bit more time off. Like, we've talked about the Lakers side of this. The Heat also have to deal with this now. And, like, they were playing basketball, what, like eight weeks, ten weeks before this season started? So, like, for them right now, I feel like tinkering almost is helpful because you're also – able to ease your top guys into this season yeah like goron's coming back from what plantar fascia um like an injury there like jimmy was playing insane minutes in the end of that playoff run like they're gonna need some time to kind of become the fullest version of themselves yeah and you know i i heard it mentioned on um a i think it was zach lowe's podcast the other day where like the yeah. op, the absolute peak of Spo tinkering is the season from a few years ago where we started the season 11 and 30 
and then finished yeah. the season 30 and 11 with a starting lineup that had Gordon Dragic, Dion Waiters, um, Josh Richardson, James Johnson, and Hassan Whiteside. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, and what happened, oh, and Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington was in that starting lineup. Sorry. Um, Next legend, Wayne Ellington, yeah. And what happened that season was it took. You know, it was so much tinkering, so much moving around, and then Spo figured out what worked for the, that team, and yeah. it worked for 41 games. Um, yeah. And so this is why I'm not too worried about this team, because this is not unusual for them to start poorly. Yeah. Um, also, I was never going to be that convinced that they were going to be like some unbeatable regular season team. I did have them fourth. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm not worried. Some things I... I'm worried about, um, like, okay, Jimmy Butler has been injured, um, but in the minutes he's played in the first game and a half and his most recent game, he's looked just really bad. Um, and look, the heat of one games without Jimmy Butler in the past, we yeah. know that this team is not a team that needs to ride on Jimmy, but it's, it's nice to have him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's nice to not be concerned about him, at least. Yeah, and it's nice to have that guy um, that can just go get a basket at will. Because yeah. without Jimmy, yeah. the only guy that we have that can get a basket at will is Goron and sometimes Tyler. Yeah. Um, like peak feeling himself Tyler Hero can go get a bucket. Yeah. Um, but how often do we enter that like range? Yeah. And you're right about the point guard issue. Right now we've been running Tyler Hero at point. Um, it is, uh, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day too, I do think this is sort of a trial by fire situation. I think Spo yep. knows it's not going perfectly, um, but I, I am sure his thought process here is like, we're going to do this for 20 games and maybe we're not going to look great because yep. we need Tyler to get this experience now. Yeah. And it keeps Goron from having to play what, like 35 minutes a game? Oh yeah, in those twenty, which is valuable. Yeah. Um, um, but I think also um, in the event that you do switch to a more conventional point guard approach, uh, there is a point guard in New York that you could buy high on. Um, is it Julius uh, Randall? <laughs> no, no, it's Alfred Payton. He's a savvy vet out of Louisiana Lafayette. He's playing the best ball of his career right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard he's in the best shape of his life. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the off-season workout videos actually didn't exist for Alfred Payton, but it's fine because now we have Knicks games where he's looking, like, bizarrely good at point. Um, he's throwing lobs to Mitch Robinson, like, night by night. It's actually very exciting to watch. So if you do, you know, decide that the Heat should probably upgrade some of those point guard minutes, by all means, trade a first or even a second-round draft pick for Alfred Payton. Would you do... Um... Kendrick Nunn for Alfred Payton? Yeah, I actually would. Like, I I feel like we've talked about Kendrick Nunn kind of being what he is on this show, and I get that, but at the same time, if there was an environment that could allow Kendrick Nunn to be, like, to become a little bit more than what he is right now, it would be this Knicks team, where yeah. it's like, all right, yeah, we need someone running point. You're going to get reps, and it'll look how it looks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'd love for him to turn it around but his, his he's looking the same as he did in the bubble and that's concerning uh because yeah. the whole bubble i think you know 
Heat fans were frustrated with how he was playing, but there was an acceptance of like he one either had COVID or was exposed and had to be like away from the team for a while. Yeah. Um, and two, he had some personal issue that he left the bubble for, so there was a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but now he's come back. Uh, first four games, uh, he hasn't he didn't play in one of the games, um, but in the exactly. four games, he is uh, averaging four and a half points a game on thirty uh, percent shooting, um, which is not <laughs> great. Um, Counterpoint: The Knicks love guards who can't shoot. <laughs> Well, Kendrick Nunn should theoretically be able to shoot. I'm not sure what has happened. Um, last year, he shot 35% from three. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure what the answer in the point guard thing is going to be. I really, you brought this up in our Thunder podcast the other day, and this really intrigued me, which was the George yeah. Hill availability. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if we can get him. I don't know what we'd have to give up. George Hill seems like, He's playing really well for the Thunder and is gradually increasing his trade value as the season goes on. Um, I mean, the funny thing with George Hill, though, is like that seemed like Jacob was talking about it on the show. Like the Thunder seemed like a team that would be in the market for like guy who has fallen out of the rotation who we could give more minutes. And maybe that is what makes him click. So like the Thunder feel like a team that could maybe at the deadline be like, all right, yeah, sure send us Kendrick Nunn and like a pick or something. Yeah. I mean, that would be just to kind of like, I don't know, just to shake things up, just to be like, yeah, we'll take another swing at a young guy. Cause be like, great. I mean, they know what George Hill is and they know he's probably not a long-term piece for them. And like, they're in the market for long-term pieces. So yeah. like it could work. Um, uh, yeah, so we're kind of in a weird moment here with the Heat where they have these two big questions. There's a point guard play and their play at the four. Okay, um, yeah. which Jay Crowder minutes. Yeah, um, the point guard play also, I think, is most uh, illuminated in the fact that, uh, I don't know if this is still true, let me check, but the Heat, for a while, at least for the first four games, were leading the league in turnovers, which does feel directly correlated to the fact that they're not playing point guard. Um, yeah. And Jimmy's not playing; hasn't been playing, and he can yeah. at least handle it. Bam yeah. has been like given like s these insane duties on offense, and is averaging like five and a half turnovers a game. Um, Are we getting like the monkey's paw version of Point Bam? Because like you were really excited for Point Bam coming into this year, and I feel like we're getting like the monkey's paw, where it's like, okay, you you can get Point Bam, but you get <laughs> too much of Point Bam, and it will lead to turnovers. Yeah, it's just like. <laughs> He gets a little too, I think, uh, trigger happy with some of these like thread the needle passes that just end up going to the other team or end up like going out of bounds or something. Like, it, it, there's some times where I think Bam is an amazing passer for a big guy, but he's not like the. F yeah, yeah. For a big guy. For a big guy, but he is not yeah. a, a Jokic kind of passer for a big guy. He yeah. is not making behind the back flips or like like full court heaves or anything. He's just like a yeah. smart passer who's always like yeah. finding guys who are cutting. Like he can find the right shot on the court. Yeah. But he's um, not gonna break the game. And I think we it's just been a weird situation when you have 
Tyler playing so much point that they're kind of forcing it into Bam and they're forcing it to Andre Udala, who really doesn't look very good. And then to transition feels like a team. This feels like a thing that he never should have had to rely on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're starting Andre Iguodala right now with the four. Um, Another one you shouldn't have had to rely on that. Yeah, um, and we're starting Andre Iguodala at the four because Mo Harkless, who I think front office was expecting to be the Crowder replacement, has looked really bad. Yeah. Um, so I, I say this coming to the uh, point um, that kind of circles back to what you were saying at the beginning of our Heat talk. Yeah. Um, I actually think the Heat's next move... Also, they played five starting lineups in five different games. Um, Consistency, a thing that this Heat team had on its side coming into the year. Yeah, um, and I think they should play a sixth one uh, for the sixth game. And I, I really think they should start um, Kelly Olynyk. And I say this because Kelly genuinely looked has has looked like one of our best offensive players so far this year. Um, he's probably having one of his best stretches as a Heat player. Um, he is a very interesting offensive player because he will, he has like a couple moves, and I don't think people expect Kelly Olynyk to have moves. He looks like a man that has zero moves in but his life. I'll, he, I'll put that one out there right now. He does, but he has this, he has like the keeper play where he, um, yeah. Uh, you know, fakes a handoff or fakes a shot and then just drives in on it. Um, yeah. He is, like, kind of adept at, like, a little spin move, especially when he's out on the three-point line. He can do a little spin and then take a three. <laughs> um, but the big thing here is also Bam and Kelly's minutes over the last, like, couple years have actually been pretty good together. Um, really? Which, yeah, um, and I think it provides a unique I mean it makes sense from a spacing perspective you have this passing big and a shooting big yeah um but what's also interesting about it is that because of Bam's ball handling abilities you have a lot of times where um Bam and Kelly will screen for each other yeah um and Kelly you know many things you want to say negatively about him he's a very good passer oh yeah um and I think it'll open up a lot of options if we can start some lineup of like Tyler, Butler, Duncan, Kelly, Bam. Now that's going to get killed on defense probably. Um, yeah. So actually, maybe you start Avery Bradley instead of one of those, one of Tyler or Duncan. Um, I do wonder if the Heat ever move away from Duncan in the starting lineup. Um, yeah. He's been looking. Uh, I mean, some of it's fluky. Right now, he's shooting 22% on open threes. Um, but his three-point percentage is still 40% because he's making contested threes. <laughs> Torching people with a hand in his face. Yeah. Um, so I think a little it's a little fluky um, how his his bad start. But um, Yeah, just, like the open threes from Duncan, I feel like you can rely on those improving. Yeah. Um, but... One guy who has been very consistent for us this year, and he's in my background right now, is Avery Bradley. Um, and I think it makes sense that he's looking like a guy giving the most effort because he hasn't played basketball since last March because he didn't play in the bubble. Um, he is a like 
defense first kind of guy but i honestly didn't know that avery bradley had a lot of combo guard skills on offense yeah um he can kind of drive and have a, has a nice mid-range game um yeah. and has some good uh handling skills as well really like avery spo actually made a joke the other day i didn't i didn't really get the joke to be honest because he was like i can't start avery bradley because if i do i'm gonna play him 45 minutes which I don't. I'm. I'm still not completely computing what it is because it's like you. You could play him. You to start a point guard. <laughs> yeah. Um, because he is the perfect. I think, and I, I was about to say he's like the perfect Spo player, but I think Avery Bradley's a perfect like coaches player anywhere. Yeah. Um. And his shots are falling, and his defense looks great. Um. So. Look, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at here is that all the pieces make sense. And I think we're just trying to figure out how to put them all together. I think yeah. we'll see some Kelly at the four. I think we'll see some Avery Bradley at the one, probably. We'll probably yeah. see some precious starting lineup minutes at some point. I think it's going to move around a lot. Um, um, there's the Heat fans who really want to see more of KZ Akpala. I, yeah. I, I do kind of, but I also... Uh, they, uh, our friend Giancarlo said this on the Miami Heat Beat podcast the other day, where he said that um, he really likes KZ as a theoretical player. <laughs> He's this super, super long, good defensive player who could like theoretically uh, be like a Giannis type who shoots threes. And I mean like, you know, 50%, 40% of Giannis. I'm not comparing him to Giannis. That's fine. That's two episodes in a row where we're making Giannis comps. Um, He just has the same body type. Um, So I think that's where that comes from. And, um, but that's kind of how I am at with Casey right now. Like, I feel like there's a good reason they're not playing him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, I don't think the Heat fans should act like they know more than Spolstra does. Like maybe in practice, Casey is late with his passes. He's bad with like the defensive reads or something. And Spolstra, he needs to get better at that before he can earn minutes. Yeah. That's probably what the case is. Yeah. Um, Which is like fine if you're the Heat. Like, you should have enough rotation guys that you don't need to go to KZ. Yeah. But, um, but to close this out, I think the Heat are going to... I really think they're going to make a trade if we're, like, like, just barely in the 500 range after, like, 20 games. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Because, like, as weird as this early stretch has been, and, like, it's okay if you're not necessarily, like, thriving in it, you don't want to fall out of anything in this early run of weird games. Yeah. Like, you at least need to be in striking distance of a high playoff seed Yeah. for it to be a good-looking season, I think, for the Heat. Yeah. And um, ju- just to end with some positive notes, um... Bam has looked very aggressive on offense. Um, his I, I didn't look I haven't looked at the numbers, um, but his mid range game is really good right now. Yeah. Um, like it's gotten to the point where if he shoots that eighteen footer, I I assume it's going in. Um, uh, Tyler um, is kind of you're seeing flashes of him looking like the Eastern Conference Tyler Eastern Conference Finals Tyler Hero. Yeah. Um and I posted this on Twitter the other day uh, a pick and roll ball handler points per possession so far this season. Now this was a couple oh, days yeah. ago. So this may have changed. 
but top five points per possession for pick and roll ball handlers was like it was like Damian Lillard, Trey Young, James Harden, and then first was Tyler Hero. Um, and I really think that's just because he's uh, developed. He he's he's figured out different ways to score, um, and he's very good at getting to the hoop now. He does some moves that remind me a lot of Goron. I am sure Goron is teaching him some things. Um, so yeah, I'm still excited. I think Bam and Hero are obviously the future of this team, and yeah. they both are looking. They're both are looking good. Um, still worried about the Duncan Hero defensive tandem. Naturally, um, but that worries what does make me think at some point Spo's just going to be like fine I'm going to just start Avery Bradley now one little headline grab on the heat real quick how long does this Duncan Robinson stretch have to go on before you feel comfortable putting him in a James Harden trade good question um, I, I'm not at that point yet um, mainly because and I know I know people like the Clown Heat fans because they're like, they won't give up Duncan Robinson in the Harden yeah. trade. And yeah. the reason that I hesitate on that is because, I mean, we've seen how good Harden is with good shooters. Yeah. <laughs> and he hasn't played with a shooter like Duncan. Yeah. Like, Eric Gordon shoots a lot, but he hasn't. he isn't the same kind of like... He's not the same kind of like Hellraiser on offense that Duncan is. Yeah. Like, and if nothing else, Duncan's going to make one player on the other team just run for his life for 24 seconds. Yeah, and that's super valuable Valuable yeah. to, like, have that guy. Even And that's why I think Spo's not going to leave Duncan anytime soon because no matter what, Duncan's valuable out there for his gravity and for how much oh, yeah. he is making that defender run. Yeah, like, the amount of just stress that he puts on a defense by being like, okay who's rotating off like who's rotating to cover my man if yep. Duncan is in like eight different places throughout a possession it's a lot of just like communicating and figuring out that a defense has to do that they don't have to do if you have an Eric Gordon out there not yep. to sh- not to shit talk Eric Gordon because he's a really good player but like it's just different ways of playing the game and yep. like there are fewer Duncan Robinsons out there yeah and I think Harden would play amazingly with um, Duncan and I, I kind of have gotten to a point where if we're going to do a trade, um, I mean, the Heat say they're out of the trade, but I, I feel like that could just be some posturing. I feel like that's one of those, like, we can't have our own players thinking they're on the trading block things. Yeah. Like, um, the worst thing you could have at this point is a 20-whatever-year-old Tyler Hero being like, oh, cool, they don't believe in me anymore. Like, that's the absolute worst-case scenario. Yeah. Um, but right now, I wonder if a trade could happen that is based around Hero and Precious. Precious is kind of the X factor here because he's looked really good. Yeah. Um, and there's this weird glut of guards taken, uh, not guards, of players taken in this like 12, 13 to 20 range this year that are yeah. all looking really good. Guys yeah. like Cam Johnson, Tyrese Halliburton, um, Precious, Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony. Tyrese yeah. Maxey, all these guys taken in the... Yeah, I want to say it was like late first round. Yeah, all these late first rounders who are looking great. And yeah. um, I think, you know, I think Precious has, looking like he has some trade value right now. He's got, he scored double digits in like four of the five games so far, I think. Yeah. 
Um, and like, if you're a Heat fan, I feel like every day that goes by as we get closer to this theoretical, like, sooner rather than later date that both the Rockets and James Harden allegedly want to have a trade done by, like, every day that we get closer to that, you probably feel better as a Heat fan because it's like, okay, yeah, like, the price can't be going up as we get closer to whatever deadline they have for themselves. Yeah, that's um, true. Um, but that was that was honestly a little bit of a shit post on my end. No, that's uh, fine. But it is, I think, valuable to talk about this this hardened trade talk at least in the context of the Heat because, like, it is kind of a cloud over a few teams in the league right now. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think whether it's Harden, whether we try to make a play for Bradley Beal, yeah. Um, I Who do. could be in play, theoretically, because, like, the Wizards are not winning with him. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's a post on the Heat subreddit every time the Wizards lose right now. <laughs> so we know where Miami's head is yeah. at. Um, I think uh, I, I really like the idea of Beal on this team. But, yeah, the I, I don't know what we give up for him. I feel like the market is almost – just because – even though there's such different a quality of players – Yeah. Um. I feel like you almost have to play the same for Beal and Harden right now. Yeah, it's weird because it's like Harden, I feel like if you're paying for him, you're paying for like thinking you're probably going to get a year or two out of him Mm -hmm. with what his contract is and like what he said about wanting to be in Brooklyn. But I also think the Rockets look at it and are like, oh no, like Drew Holiday just went for three first round picks and two swaps. Like we want more than that. You could argue James Harden deserves twice that. Yeah. Like, you could argue he deserves the Anthony Davis haul if he does re-sign with you. And, like, you probably – I would have a hard time shouting you down about that. Yeah. But then you look at a guy like Beal, and it's like, all right, yeah, if you trade for him, he's more than likely re-signing. Yeah. Because, like, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's like, no, I want to be in place X. Yeah. Like, he said, I want to be on this bad Washington Wizards team because I want to win here. Yeah. Um, But that was a brief – dip into trade talk from two people who are not you know nba insiders um all that to say is that i do think the heat will be in the market i don't know if they're gonna get up getting one of these stars but i do think they'll get in the market if they can't figure this stuff out yeah that's a good way to put a cap on that um but now we're going to transition into the third segment of our show it's the the surprises segment um so dave there are two five and one teams in the nba right now the Phoenix Suns and the Philadelphia 76ers. I have a sneeze coming right now that I've been grappling with for about eight minutes of audio right now. Hmm. Hang on. Go for it. So, yeah, we have the Sixers and the Suns. They are both 5-1. and one. Yeah. Um, they are both teams with a lot of turnover um, but have retained their, like, kind of main core of players from yeah. – last year kind of in similar situations when you think about it um yeah but i mean i have watched a little bit of both teams so far same and the suns are just a like i mean they're both i think they're number one and two in defense so i should say both of them they're both like pretty like menacing defensive teams so far Oh, yeah. I think the interesting thing with the Sixers to start is, like, I feel like them and the Mavs are doing the reverse versions of each other, where the Sixers were like, all right, we're going to trade away, like, a Josh Richardson. 
but we're going to try and load up on shooters because that'll make us work a little bit better offensively. The Mavs were like, all right, we can part with a Seth Curry because we still have some shooting, but we need defense. Yeah. And now I feel like they're doing like the inverse of each other and it's really working for the Sixers because ultimately they they have like basically two queens on the chessboard when you talk about their defensive side of the ball where it's like, all right, you have that anchor in Embiid, but then you also have this sort of like free safety type player in Ben Simmons who can just make plays all over the court mm-hmm. and really unlock a lot of the defensive stuff for them. Yeah, and, and the shooting has been looking great. Seth Curry... So far yeah. this season, he's averaging 16 points a game. He is shooting 56% from the field and uh, 52% from three so far. My goodness. Um, he is probably getting you know some of the most open shots he's ever gotten um, yeah. because of all the attention drawn at Simmons and Embiid in the paint. Yeah. Um, he is getting so many uh, shots in transition. Um, the Sixers also have this, like, fun bench lineup now where they have Shake Milton, Tyrese Maxey, like Furkan Korkmaz, um, Mike Scott, Dwight Howard. Like they pretty much roll out this bench lineup of like four guys who can shoot and plus Dwight Howard. Um and it just Tyrese looks Maxey by the way, another late first rounder who looks really good. Yeah. Um and they are just looking like I think the best version of what we were describing in our season preview. Yeah, yeah. Um, to bring this to the other side with the Suns, too, like, I've been watching a few Suns games, and every time I watch the Suns play, I'm like, oh, I like this guy. Like, whether it's Cam Johnson, whether it's – they have Michael Bridges, right? Yeah. I get – I'm bad at Michael versus Michael – or Michael versus Miles. That's what yes. – they came yeah. out in the same draft. They have Mike Bridges, I'm fairly certain. He's been playing out of his mind. He like, is. Zero turnovers. I think he's one of the better three-point shooters in the league at this point. Yes. Um, he's shooting 50% on six attempts right now. Yeah, and like his true shooting, I think, is an insane number right now. I think that's the one that I was looking at with him where it's like, oh, my God, he's shooting the lights out. Um, actually, yeah. let me look this up real quick. But I think they're kind of – it's very interesting to me because, like, we saw what adding Chris Paul did to the Thunder last year, where it was like, oh, okay, this unlocks, like, everybody else on this team by just having a point guard who, like, can kind of make things run on offense but also make sure everybody's in the right spots defensively. He's, like, the most extreme extension of a coach kind of player that there is. And we also saw last year when they added Ricky Rubio how much that did for Devin Booker. Like, you just, oh, he has a competent point guard now. He's putting up 27-7 and a night. And now they've just upgraded on that. And it makes this team so much better. Yeah. And the big thing that we were talking about in our season preview. Now, you remember, I was very high on this Suns team. Um, yeah. But my main area of concern was like, ah, they're kind of relying a lot on a couple of young guys here. But both Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson have been so good. They are both becoming like elite 3 and D guys before our eyes. And are yeah. becoming, I mean, honestly, they're looking even better than a traditional 3D, 3 and D guy. Mikhail Bridges is averaging like 16 points a game and is like driving to the rim a lot, um, has diversified his offense in a variety of ways. Um, right. But him and Cam Johnson are just 
getting a lot of open shots, and they're succeeding. I mean, Cam Johnson right now is averaging 14 points a game and shooting 43% on six attempts from three. Like, these guys are just, like, these two guys were my biggest question marks with this team because they both had nice years last year, but now it's like, all right, you're in a playoff team and you are 22. You have to be, like, consistent and good, and they both are being consistent and good on both ends of the court and like that cam johnson pick if you look back two years they picked him like 10th overall despite being i think like a four-year player at unc like not the typical lottery pick that a team like the suns with where they were would be taking a swing on and all of us basically looked at them we're like huh that's that's weird like this feels like a team that's trying to add the last piece of their formula like their lineup their core through this lottery pick when you really want to be taking a swing at a star, but then you look at what he's doing now and it kind of seems to have worked out perfectly for them. Oh yeah. All right. He doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot, which is exactly what you need next to book and Chris Paul. And he's going to defend like an MF or also I've got the stats on that. Michael Bridges. Um, He is ninth in the league in true shooting percentage. It's a 71% mark. He is behind Ennis Cantor, James Harden, Avery Bradley, Dante DiVincenzo, Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Alec Burks, and Sterling Brown. Got a, you got you got a Nick there. We certainly do. <laughs> uh, I think a currently injured Nick, but a Nick. Um, but like case in point, I think like Michael yeah. Bridges is getting a lot of really good looks in this offense. There's no reason to think that those won't continue. Um, DeAndre Ayton has come out and been like, "Yeah, I don't really care about my scoring. I'm just trying to anchor this team defensively." which feels like exactly what you want out of a young center on a team where Devin Booker is carrying the load offensively. Yeah, and I think um, what's been interesting about him is like, I mean, you look at the numbers on this Suns team. He's fifth in yeah. scoring on the team after you know a couple years where he was averaging in that 18 to 20 range. But both Mikhail and Cam Johnson are ahead of him. Mikhail and Cam Johnson are also both ahead of Chris Paul. Um, yeah which I think shows that Chris Paul has kind of taken a little bit of a... He's, he's averaging, uh, you know, fewer shots. He's kind of being yeah. more of like a... He, he's really deferring to Booker a lot to take a lot of the um, important shots, whereas I feel like last year he had to take a lot of shots um, on that Thunder yeah, team. Yeah, there's been an time, like, we have a big possession. It's going to be Chris Paul holding the ball the entire possession. Yeah, Um but yeah, there's just a lot to like on this team. They're even getting good minutes from Cameron Payne, who I think a lot of us probably thought was on his way out of the league, but he's playing well. Yeah, I mean, I'm friends with a couple of Bulls fans who had to watch Cameron Payne for a couple of years. He was a punchline when he was in Chicago. Like, just the kind of player where it was like, all right, people in basketball keep telling us there's something here, and we, but it's just not there when you watch a game. He's playing good minutes for the Suns now. Yeah. Um and yeah, they're the team. Like we said, I mean, they really do go like eight or nine deep right now. Yeah. And uh, um, so, looking at these teams, we've kind of given a a little bit of a run through on each of them. And I'm about to ask this question, and I will put a caveat here, which is that the Pacers, Magic, and Cavs all lost their last game. Had they not, they would have been eligible for this question and probably been the answer to this question overwhelmingly. But of the two five and one teams we have right now, who is more surprising to you? Ooh, I mean, probably the Suns, just because this is like 
this feels um, new. Like there, there's a lot of yeah. things they had to like figure out to get here. I thought maybe this would take some time with Chris Paul and everything yeah. to be fully integrated. And you know, you'd think with a younger team, it might just take a little bit more time. I mean, but at the same time, the Sixers kind of feel like a team that is playing a completely different style of basketball than they have been recently in the last couple yeah. of years. Um, and the fact that they've figured that out so quickly is really, really impressive. But maybe that just shows that this like kind of shoot first, spacing first kind of offense that they have have now should have always been the deal. And yeah. Ben Simmons just very quickly has adapted to running that offense. I also think it's the Suns just because like they chose to bet on that eight no bubble run, which yeah. like if anything was ever going to be fluky and if anything was ever going to regress, it would be like a below average, like 11 or 10 seed. I forget what they were when they came into the bubble, but it would be like an 11 or 10 seed going eight and oh in this weird stretch of basketball that has never been played before and probably won't happen again where like all of the players are living in Disney world and you can only play one game at a time. And you're like fishing in your spare time because that's all you can do here. Like if anything was going to be nonsense and not worth investing in, it would be going eight and in that stretch, but to their credit and a lot of teams, I feel like don't do this enough. They kind of looked at what they had and said, we have something here. Let's try and improve upon that. And like, do they wind up in a championship contending spot? I don't know. Probably not this year. But, like, they chose to kind of push some chips to the center of the table. And I feel like you have to give them credit for that. Um, Definitely. Um, and I think I, – I honestly don't see why – see what they're doing as that unsustainable. I'm sure their shooting numbers will maybe go down yeah. a little bit. Like, I mean, like they're shooting – Like, maybe Bridges isn't one of the – best shooters in the league yeah but there's no reason to suggest that he won't still get open looks and like, there's no reason to think that this team is not going to continue to be a great defensive team all the pieces are yeah. there no yeah they're rotating they're flying around to the ball like you have cam johnson and mikhail bridges making like really smart small plays where it's just like oh he followed that cutter perfectly and he was in the lane for a pass in and now the ball's going the other way and we've got a fast break layup like little stuff like that, I feel like is sustainable. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're both in agreement that it's the Suns. Uh, before we close out the episode, you had a, a fun game to play. Yes. On this episode of the show, would you like to tell the people what we're going to be doing? Yes. So um, I also just... me. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I, I this is just a little. I was I was you know trolling around on you know NBA stats website and Basketball Reference, um, just trying to find sure. some fun things that have been going on. Um, so I've developed a, a little uh, little quiz game. I'm going to ask Tom some questions, um, and we're going to see how he does. Um, this is really just a – it doesn't really matter how Tom does, but um, I think – I'm going to say this before we start, though. Um, I want everybody to focus in. I'm a real basketball fan, okay? <laughs> I watch the game. I don't need your numbers to tell me what good basketball looks like. Yeah, I but... say that before I – guess any stats here i don't pay attention to the stats i just watch the games so yeah uh send some stats at me let's see how this goes 
All right, um, Tom, which NBA big man do you think is allowing the highest percentage of their defender shots to go in? And lowest percentage. Both of these guys are starters. So we're looking at the best. Who do you think the best and who do you think the worst rim protector is? Um, okay. So for the worst, I'm going to just – I don't know it, so I'm going to pick what I think the funniest outcome would be, mm-hmm. which would be $200 million man Rudy Gobert suddenly becoming an awful rim protector. So I'm going to say Rudy Gobert is, is allowing the highest shooting percentage at the rim right now. He is He is not. Um, that would be funny. Um, do you have any other guesses, or do you want me to tell you? Okay, worst. Just, now, when we say big man, we're talking like center, or can it be a four? He, he's a five. Um, okay. So, yeah, if if you're just like kind of going through the teams, just thinking about who their starting center is. Um, uh, is it Clint Capella? It is not Clint Capella. Um, but it is another Eastern Conference player. Um, it All is, right, who is it? Orlando Magic, Nikola Vucevic, who is Vooch. who is somehow averaging uh, letting his defenders score on him seventy four percent of the time. Oh God, Vooch! <laughs> um, he was also bottom five last year. Um, oh, I mean, maybe that's just not his game. Yeah, so uh, not not a super surprising one, but I just thought that number was pretty staggering. Now that this, is insane. The best rim protector. Um, this is going to kind of give it away. Um, my, it might have changed after last night, but this is numbers as of 24 hours ago. Okay. Oh, um, best rim protector. Is it Miles Turner? Yes. So before last night... Because um, he looked awful last night. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to look up to see how the numbers have changed. <laughs> But going um, into last night against the offensive machine, New York Knicks. Yes, he was averaging um, defenders. I mean, offensive players were averaging 37% against him. Yikes. Um, also, I should add that the caveat was that the minimum attempts per game here was six for anyone who's okay. paying attention at home. Um, so question two, or I guess question three. Um, question three and four, who do you think the fastest and the slowest teams in the league have been? Um, fastest team, I'm going to say the Hawks. Actually, no. I thought it would be the Hawks, too. Is it the Nets? Think not good team. Oh. Is it the Kings? No. All right, who is it? It is the Chicago Bulls. Really? Yes, they are the playing the fastest basketball in the NBA, getting out in transition a lot, shooting early in the shot clock, um... It's interesting because that kind of goes against the conventional wisdom of we're the worst team here, so we're going to slow this down and make it a rock fight and like minimize the number of possessions where we show how much worse we are. But also, I don't know. Now they are uh, they are making sure that it is a very very fast paced rock fight. They are trying to win some track meets. Um, and then who do you think are the slowest? Uh, the slowest team in the league. Think ISO heavy think you're not going to see this team running down the court super quickly. Is it the Rockets? No, but they're up there. Okay. Um, Is it the Celtics? No, but I'm not sure if they're up there. All right, who is it? It is the Los Angeles Clippers. I should have said that. Um, 
that one for a second surprised me and then i thought yeah. about the clippers game that i've watched this year clippers games and i was like that yeah. makes sense they kind of yeah. like really take it easy um they, a lot of their possessions are like oh wow Kawhi's dribbling the ball like two steps inside of half court and like he hasn't moved in a couple seconds yeah like they're not forcing it right away no um i think it, that makes a lot of sense for them there's they, yep. they play a lot of iso ball they play uh you know i think a lot of the teams that were slower for the most part were like actually some of the best teams and yep. um you know another really fast team was uh the golden state warriors um they're playing some of the fastest i think if you if you break it down by individual player which i'm not entirely sure how that works but the yeah. fastest player in the league has been Kelly Oubre. Um, I don't know why, but that makes sense. Yeah. That really makes sense. Um, so, I also, mm. I wonder if there is some sort of like, if it's like more of a causation of like the best teams are choosing to play slower and not like the teams that are playing slower are becoming the best. Because like I... I might be making too big a deal out of the we are starting this season very soon thing, but I feel like there could be something to like good teams that were playing later last year saying, okay, you know what we don't have in us is 48 minutes of fast break ball going both ways. Like we just don't have the legs for that yet. That's, that's a great so point. Slow it down and try and rely on just like some half court skill to get this one done. That's a really good point, And I will look into that. I'm curious if there's like, been just like a slower pace in the league this year or if you can I, i'm sure someone on twitter has done something where they're like comparing the pace of teams that were in the bubble versus not in the bubble to see if they're yeah. playing any quicker um that's just like a spitball on my end but i would be interested in seeing how that works out yeah what is uh, question number five yes so question number five so the top five lineups in the NBA so far in terms of effectiveness have been, um, this is like what their net rating is. You yeah. have the Clippers starting lineup, the yeah. Lakers starting lineup, the Nets starting lineup, and the Bucks starting lineup. So, so you have four teams that are very, we all consider contenders. Yeah. Um, who do you think? the fifth one is here they're actually third on the list the third most effective starting lineup in the nba so far this year i'm gonna say the pacers you're right it is the pacers <laughs> um the pacers i think you know to kind of and that was my last question and to kind of tie this into what we were talking about before yeah. with um the suns and the sixers yeah Pacers, I think we have, I mean, you know, let's give it some games. Let's give it, you know, 10, 15 more yeah, games before we yeah. make any proclamations. But the Pacers are looking like they're really benefiting from this consistency that they have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and you're getting a very, like, a, a surprising jump, I think, from DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah. Uh, well, According to Charles Barkley, he's a top ten player. Yes. In the NBA. Um, <laughs> well, one which, of the more, I think, 
Like Charles has said a lot of ridiculous things. That's got to be up there. Charles Barkley has said ridiculous things. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got to be up there. Uh, I tweeted this last night from the show account that like Mitchell Robinson is now in possession of the top 10 player in the league, according to Charles Barkley title. I actually would be kind of interested in like, if that just becomes like the WWE hardcore title where like you have to defend it whenever you go out to play. And like, if you throw up a shot and it just gets swatted, whoever swatted that shot is a top 10 player in the league now. Like if you get dunked on, whoever dunked on you is a top 10 player in the league now. I'm sorry. That's just, these are the rules. Um, that would because be like, that feels like that feels like a ridiculous enough premise that it's exactly how much weight we should give to Charles Barkley calling him a top 10 player in the NBA. It also could be not that far off from the way that Charles is thinking about it. <laughs> Like, it's like Domantis finished. Domantis finished an and one in the post tonight. He is a top ten player in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, Domantis is like right now. Domantis is averaging twenty one, eleven, and seven. That's pretty nuts. On fifty seven percent shooting from the field and fifty seven percent from three. Obviously, those aren't whole. I mean, the, the from the field number field goal percentage might hold because like. He's a big guy. He's getting good shots close to the rim. The three-point percentage, I don't think, is holding at 57%. That can't, that can't be sustainable. <laughs> um, but the crazy thing is, I think, these assist numbers. Now, last year, he averaged five assists. So, like, clearly, he's he's looking to pass out Yeah. if he can, if there's a look there. Um, and I think that really helps the – like, he's really the key to why this Pacers offense is looking so much better. Um, yeah. Because you have – what three guys between Brogdon, Depot, and Sabonis who can kind of run things, yeah, um, and like pass it to the right guy and like kind of be in charge of how the offense is looking. Oh yeah, like if you if you watch this Pacers team, the thing that jumped out at me watching them is like their offense never really stalls. Like if they're taking a bad shot, it's because like Victor Oladipo decided to pull up from thirty-two feet out. Yeah, but like they're not going to get into that position where it's like, oh, four seconds on the shot clock, and I just like passed you a hot potato, and now you have to put up a thirty-seven footer. Like it's, they seem to always be moving towards a shot, yeah, and not just kind of aimlessly wandering, which uh, I think probably comes from some of that like three guys who can create aspect yeah. of it. I mean, yeah, and like T.J. Warren can create as well, but he's not really much of a playmaker. He can, but he can get he his can own create shot for himself. Yeah, yeah, so. Yeah, you have four guys. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, I guess we shouldn't have been so, like, low in them. You do have four guys who can make their own shot. Yeah, no, it's it's how, true. Like, how many offensive have that? Like, Not a lot, because, like, can get his own shot, I feel like, is a skill that we take for granted on a lot of players, where it's like, well, he's scoring 18 a night. Like, I guess he can create his own shot. But, like, the number of players that can actually, like, in a half-court set, get a shot that's open and not just like a heave yeah. it's lower than you think I think yeah and I would love to I didn't look at these I would love to look at the numbers of the um, Brogdon Sabonis pick and roll which is oh, yeah. really a awful pick your poison moment for the defense because you're like alright do we guard Brogdon who seemingly shoots 100% from mid range or do we like you know go down to Sabonis who has 
just really increased the ways that he can score and has become so much more aggressive. Like, it's this... It, it is just this pick-your-poison kind of offense. Like, TJ Warren okay. can get hot. Oladipo's playing really well. Um, and if you collapse around Sabonis, you also have to worry about the fact that, like, it's not beyond him to look towards a weak side three-point shooter. Yeah. Whether it's Oladipo, whether it's Miles Turner, or even TJ Warren, like, he's got the court vision and kind of the the mind, the presence of mind to be like, all right, somebody's open here. Yeah. And can execute that pass in a pretty quick fashion. Yeah. And, you know, Turner, I think everyone kind of thought maybe he'd be... I think we need to kind of accept the fact that Miles Turner is going to be, like, this defense-first big. Yeah, um, which is fine. Yeah. Like... Because I think the disappointment around them has, around him over the last few years has been entirely related to his offense. Yeah, um, my grandma would have top charger, but keep going. Okay, um, yeah, the disappointment around him over the last few years has been pointed around his offense, and I think his kind of inconsistent three point shooting, because he's theoretically a pick and pop kind of big guy, but he doesn't almost shoot well enough from three to be effective at that. Um, and he kind of struggles on the rebounding side of things too for someone that's that big. Yeah. Um, but this year, I mean, we just said that number before, you know, averaging, you know, 37% defend offensive players averaging 37% when guarded by him. He's averaging nearly four blocks a game. Um, he, uh, seems to, I think he went to the, um, Roy Hibbert school of verticality. Um, <laughs> where like you see this with a couple guys around the league like yeah. guys like Turner Gobert like some of these like kind of older old school big man defender types yeah. um that yeah like I mean there was that period of time where Roy Hibbert was like he was one of the best defenders in the NBA because oh yeah he a problem he like... didn't he didn't bite on anything and he no. was always stayed vertical so it was so hard to draw a foul on him yeah and that I feel like is like when you see like young bigs struggling defensively, a lot of the time it's like they're biting on fakes, they're getting too reachy with it. Like it's we we'll joke about verticality and Roy Hibbert, and we should joke about it because like that's a really weird thing to look back on. Like the time that LeBron James had to figure out how to score on Roy Hibbert, but at the same time, like it is a valuable skill if you're a defensive big. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think this Pacers team, I would... I mean, despite their loss last night, I, I really think there's nothing fluky about the way they're starting. Yeah, um, I don't think they're going to be a top three team. Um, but Probably I think uh, they will be good. And just sort of like as a way to kind of wrap this fully together, I think it is important to, to say how much these narratives change very quickly... Um, you know, the, like about 10 days ago, there was so much talk about how unstoppable the Brooklyn Nets were looking. Yeah. Right now, the Brooklyn Nets are three and three. They're tied with the Knicks. Yeah. They lost to Charlotte. Yeah. Um, they, and I think that was with Kevin Durant and Kyrie playing. Oh yeah. Durant had a shot to tie that game at the end of it. Right. Um, so Anything that we're saying, you know, anything that anyone's saying about these teams, like looking unstoppable or like looking awful after a certain amount of games, you know, I think anything can change. 
Um, In terms of teams, I am a little bit worried about, um, and I know we should wrap this up soon, but, um, I mean, it's really just, like, I mean, the obvious ones are, like, the Nuggets. Yeah, I'm worried about Denver. uh, The Raptors. Yeah. Um, The Raptors had that uh, situation the other night where, um, you know, they were 0-3 to start the season, and then Pascal Siakam, who has not looked good, was suspended for a game, like, for team discipline reasons that were unclear, and then they won the game without him. Yep. Um, Same thing just happened with the Washington Wizards. Awful start to the year. Russ leaves a game for uh, uh, rest, and they win. Um, It's... It's concerning. Yeah. um, Pascal is looking... uh, like he did in that Boston series, honestly. He's looking rough yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Nuggets, I actually haven't been watching the Nuggets really, so have you seen any of their games? I watched the Christmas game and haven't watched another Nuggets game this year. Did you see anything in that Christmas game that was concerning? The only thing I was really concerned about was just, like, Michael Porter Jr.'s shot selection. Um, I think Jamal Murray might also be, like, fashioning himself to be a little bit more of a pure point guard than he really is suited for Mm. is like while he took that leap when he started playing more minutes at the point in his second year like he's no one's going to look at him and be like yeah this is a Chris Paul type like this is a guy who's just going to be facilitating for everybody like he's probably more of a combo guard like shoot first kind of guy which is fine because he's really good at that but you run into problems when he starts trying to force himself into more of a traditional point role. Yeah. But that's really the only stuff I've seen that like looks concerning. Like, I think I'm going to need to watch them more because I am like you worried about them a bit. Um, I got hair on me. Yeah. I'm worried about them, but there's still a lot of time for them to write the ship. Oh yeah. I mean, and this is the thing. It's like, you know, if we're, if we are in the middle of the season and the nuggets were like, you know, 35 and 18 or something and just went on a little skid where they lost four out of five, we'd be like, eh, like kind of concerning, but like not, we don't really care. It's just like, because it's the beginning of the season, but I will say, I'm going to try to add this up real quickly. I want to see how the conference finalists are doing. And this is relating back to your comments about the limited amount of rest um, let's see. I mean, the Lakers are four and two. The Clippers are four and two. Or, sorry, Lakers are four and two. Um, the Nuggets are one and four, and their one win came over a like half Rockets squad. Right. But I think they're still dealing with COVID uh, holdouts. The Heat are two and three, and the Celtics are three and three. So yeah, you could. I think collectively that's under five hundred. Uh, yeah, it would be. Um, obviously, the Nuggets the, and the Heat are bringing it down. Mostly the Nuggets. Yeah, um, but the Celtics being three and three, which I don't think either of us are that surprised about. No, um, they look like the problems they have seem to be exactly the problems everyone thought they would have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do wonder if there's anything to this, um, you know, lack of. Uh, rest for some of these teams you know the quick turnaround and I I don't think they're using it as excuses but I I know Bam Adebayo in a a postseason presser the other day 
when they uh, after they lost to the Mavericks on Friday. Yeah. Um, he he kind of suggested that he was like, I'm not trying to give an excuse, but you guys got to realize we've only been together for like a month. Yeah. And normally, it would we'd be together for a month, and then the season would start. Yeah. Um, like it's, I think it was Zach Lowe talking about it the other day where he was like, yeah, like teams will get together and just run pickup during the off season. Yeah. Like teams haven't had the opportunity to do that this year. Cause it was either like, either you were practicing semi-normally or not practicing at all, mm-hmm. or you were playing playoff games in that stretch where you would have been just like, all right, yeah, let's figure out how these other dudes play. Yeah. Um, so I think still a lot to learn from this season. Like, a lot left to learn we don't have enough to make full judgments yet uh but there's some patterns worth looking at yeah and i'm excited to see the rest of this play out yeah me too um i think uh it's been very fun to kind of follow like kind of like every team this year i think because of the stuff that we've been doing um, you know, the season preview stuff really made me, you know, very curious. Like, okay, how are the Grizzlies going to look? Um, yeah. Like, what is that rotation going to look like? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I think nothing I'm really that concerned about yet. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but there's stuff we're keeping an eye on. Yeah. The Raptors could just be in a, I don't know. The Nuggets also, like, I'm pretty sure they were a, a high-paced team last year. Yeah. So, like, this feels like the worst set of circumstances for them. Yeah. Um, um, but, like we said, long season, a lot of run left to go. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure the Nuggets are going to figure it out. Um, and maybe they'll maybe they'll make a trade. Who knows? Yeah. Give um, us something to talk about on this show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's going to do it for us. Um, want to thank everybody for watching. As always, Dave. I love doing this with you. So thanks for doing this. Thank you, Tom. And uh, we'll see y'all sometime this week. Yeah. Might have a Cavs episode coming up. Yes. We'll uh, we'll be talking Cavs, Justin Rowan. Talking Um, sex We joked about this, but um, from when we first decided let's do a Cavs episode to the Cavs episode actually coming out, they might go from undefeated to about 500, (laughs) which (laughs) shows just how volatile this early season stuff is. Absolutely. Um, Uh, But y'all stay tuned because that Cavs episode could be very interesting.